the things my family did I am not the voices in my head I am not the pieces of the brokenness inside I am light I am light <sighs> Hello everyone and welcome to Being Inspired Radio I'm Amanda Johnson, and I am so excited to introduce you to a very dear friend of mine, someone who I have known for quite some time now, um, whose journey has been going um, in a similar direction. We've been walking this, a similar journey over the past few years. I've learned a lot from her. Um, I've certainly experienced a lot with her, and I'm just so, so excited to introduce you all to her today as we dive into a super juicy um, topic about the Enneagram. Hello, Wendy. Hi, how are you? Great. So I wanted to say that Wendy, she is, um, aside from an incredible friend and a beautiful woman in my life, she is an executive coach and leadership consultant. Um, she's a former corporate ladder climber and a recovering achievement addict. And over the years, she found that many of the principles that she was using as a change consultant you know, to guide people through transitions within organizations are also useful to help people make changes within themselves. And she wants to help facilitate these changes for the sole purpose of helping people find more freedom and fulfillment in their work lives. She believes that bringing a holistic um, perspective to these changes is what makes them authentic and sustainable. Her personal mission is to guide people in making an intentional shift from balancing work life to embracing their life's work, which is pretty incredible, if I may say so myself. So um, we are here. I'd love to um, open with a quote that um, is is something that I um, was inspired to, I was inspired to find, and it is about um, it is a quote from Russ Hudson, and Russ Hudson, as far as I know, and I think Wendy, um, who um, who may know even more about him, she's um, taken trainings, etc., with him. But as I know it, Russ Hudson is one of the leading teachers, thought leaders of the Enneagram, and um, he's written a number of books on the topic. And I want to read a quote of his. Um, actually, it's a his quote and Don Riso another um, leader and thought leader and teacher in this space. And I'm going to read the quote and I just ask that you, as you're listening, you kind of just see what it strikes in you. Um, this show is all about inspiring the wisdom and the truth that is already within each of us. And so as we listen to this show, as you listen to this show and this, this passage that I'm about to read, I just ask that you see what it brings up for you. And then Wendy and I are going to dive into, you know, just seeing what that, where that leads us um, in our conversation and hopefully uncover some really cool insights and discoveries to share with you all. So uh, without further ado, let me go ahead and read this quote. Dom, Russ Hudson and Don Riso says, transformation happens when our ordinary perspective shifts and we attain a new understanding of who we really are. When it is said and done, this is the wisdom of the Enneagram. 
So, Wendy, I'm not mm, sure if yeah. anything that, that sparked anything in you or if you'd like to tell us a little bit more about what the Enneagram means to you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love that quote because I think that it really embodies a lot of what the Enneagram uh, represents to me, which is something that is super, super complex, but at the same time, it is a tool for something that is seemingly so simple, right? And we make it really complicated. This idea of just seeing that who we think we are is not what we are. Um, and I love the song that you played at the beginning because it really, it speaks to that idea of there's this essence and there's this um, this oneness, there's this quality of being that is beyond what we think we are in terms of our personality, our ego or whatever. And I think the Enneagram to me is a beautiful tool for being able to recognize that, to love that and to be able to work with that, right. To make our personality, our friend, rather something that we're you know, trying to get rid of or trying to work against, um, but rather working with it, um, with this loving kindness of accepting that about ourselves as well. I love that. And now, of course, you and I have had a million conversations about the Enneagram, and um, I know you're very wise in this space. And I'm curious for those of you know those listening who are not familiar with it, or maybe they've heard the name but they don't much more know more. And we don't, of course, need to spend a whole lot of time going into all the details and nuances because, as you said, it it is quite it can be quite complex or seemingly complex. Um, but how would you, when you meet someone or when you're working with someone, describe to them what the Enneagram is? Yeah. I mean, I'll say this, you know, I, my, my relationship with the Enneagram has really evolved a lot. You know, I was first exposed to it probably, I don't know, 15 years ago. And at that time I really, I looked at it as a personality system, right? It was a way of categorizing myself, of seeing myself, of being able to recognize my patterns and sort of have a little bit of a gleeful, Oh, Oh my God, that's what I do. That's me. And there's a little bit of, um, there's a fun part of that, right? Like we all like taking these sort of assessments and different things. And that was kind of how I approached at the time was another label, another identification, much like Myers-Briggs or DISC or many of these kind of psychometric tools that we use to categorize different types of people. And you absolutely can use it that way. And there's a lot of power in being able to understand the mechanisms of your personality and I think recently I've become much more aware of the Enneagram as something much bigger and broader than that. So that it's actually more a, not so much a personality test, but a map of human consciousness. It's really seeing these patterns of how humans are wired. And this knowledge goes way, way back, right? It's ancient, ancient wisdom from, you know, 12,000 BC from the Egyptians. They had these nine different faces of humanity or the ways that um, human beings kind of show up in the world. And there's threads of it in Kabbalah, in Christian mysticism, in Sufi wisdom. It's just in a way very magical and mystical. And I think a really powerful spiritual tool. Mm. I got, I have chills and I'm thinking, I love the phrase you said, it's like the, a map of human consciousness. And, you know, certainly I've, you know, I've, I've watched some of that evolution of yours, which has been so cool because as you've continued to broaden and deepen your understanding of this incredible tool system, mystical, you know, map, if you will, um, it's been really fun on my end as well to kind of receive some of that and 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 witness that as well. 
And I think it's, it's so cool to see how we, and I certainly was one of the same to kind of use it as, oh, this is what I am, or this is who I am, and this is how I operate. And now to start to see it in such a um, more meaningful way in some ways. So when we think of it as the, a map of human consciousness, which is so cool, and you know, what does that mean for us? Like, how do we, or what does that mean for you, I guess, specifically in either how you um, relate to it now? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. How is that? What does that yeah, look like I mean, now? I think it's, it's not necessarily an either or, right? It's not mm-hmm. just a personality tool and it's not just a spirituality tool. I actually think the reason why it's powerful is because it is actually the marriage of psychology and spirituality, right? It's not sort of denying our humanness or trying to get over it or, or move past it. It's actually seeing that that is actually how we connect to spirit is by mm. seeing our personalities in action and being able to see beyond that. Um, but without denying it or kind of pushing it away. I think um, when we talk about like sort of this idea, sort of, you know, kind of out there idea of this idea of map of human consciousness, I think that, it is through the personality that we get there, right? So there is this recognition of here is my pattern, right? This is my default strategy. This is how I've learned to be in the world and having kindness for that, right? And saying like, of course, of course, that's how I am because, you know, this is kind of my, my DNA. This is how I was designed and this is how I've been successful in life. And that's perfectly okay, and understanding that that is not an identity, understanding that that is not who you are and that you actually have the capacity to choose different ways of being and to choose different energies or essences of humanity to bring forth and that you actually have a much broader capacity than this one narrow personality pattern that you do when you're sort of in automatic mode. I love, yes. And to me, that's, and I think you, well, maybe you agree where that's where we see that's where we access freedom. That's where we experience mm-hmm. freedom. So, and if, if again, those who are listening aren't quite familiar, but, um, and you might describe it a little clearer than me, but this, this idea that the you know, Enneagram has these nine points. And so it's this geometric shape, um, very simply a circle, but of course the points connect in very different ways. Um, so if we think of our experience and, um, as, as, as humans, well, as spirits having a human experience, if you will, um, we have this entire circle in which to play and in which to pull from and in which to, um, you know, make choices in each moment, as you just said. And this is how I see it. And, and I'd love to hear your perspective. And as you were mentioning, we have our own, um, we each have like a default, if you will, a default place where we, we tend to make choices from or we ch- tend to uh, operate from. And as we learn, as we become familiar with that and we start to go, oh, this is where I've been playing. This is where I've been choosing to um, operate from and respond from and react from. And as I open up my circle uh, larger and larger, now I can go play on that side if I want, or I can go play over on this side, or I can choose a, um, a response from over there. And I can almost stand in the center and kind of reach out and touch all the sides or all of the, you know, different points rather than staying over in my little corner and feeling restricted. So that's how I visualize it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely, that's a beautiful image. I think that that is in a nutshell, kind of the power of the Enneagram is that it opens up the possibility to 
choose something different, right? Knowing that you have an automatic response and then there is so much more beyond that. Um, so maybe, I mean, for people that aren't familiar, maybe I can just describe a little bit yeah. of, you know, what the, what the different types or the different points are about. So, you know, as you were saying, there's a circle and there's nine different points and these all really represent different, um, divine qualities or higher aspects of humanity. Um, they, they each are associated with also a light side and a dark side, right? So the, the personality part of the Enneagram, the theory of that is based on this idea that our personality forms because of something that we feel is missing, right? So our personality, our ego is fueled by seeking something outside of ourselves that we already are. So for example, point eight, it's strength or power. Uh, for point nine, it's peace or harmony, for point one, it's goodness or sacredness. Uh, for point two, it's it's love. For three, it's value. For four, it's uh, uniqueness or beauty. For five, it's wisdom. For six, it's security. And for seven, it's, it's freedom. It's this idea of sort of joyfulness and freedom. So the idea is that we are all, all already all of these things. And we lose touch with knowing that we are these things. And that is the seed of the personality that's planted. And if you imagine your personality as sort of this engine um, and it needs some fuel, this idea that you're missing this thing is what keeps your personality running, right? So the second that you realize that you are love and you don't need to go outside of yourself to seek it, your personality doesn't have any fuel to run on, right? So that is kind of what keeps us in this automatic mode. And the irony of it is the more we go outside of ourselves to seek the thing that we think we're missing, the more we push it away from us. Mm. So in a way, understanding your personality pattern is, is the first step to kind of seeing, oh, okay, this is actually what's causing me suffering and I can do something differently. So, uh, yeah, um, there's so many we can talk about. Yeah, so the, <laughs> <laughs> this, and, and hence all of my listeners, all of our listeners, uh, this is why we have a thousand conversations about this stuff. So, um, when, okay, we'll say it's so interesting. So in those listening, I, for a long time, really identified with the point nine. Um, and I, I believe there's still a lot of that that is uh, part of my default. Although very recently I, I've learned potentially my starting point was more one. Um, and again, it's not about labeling it. So now I can put myself in that box, but it really, it, it did somehow open me up for another, Oh, well, here's another lesson and another layer. Um, mm-hmm. and kind of like, Oh, now I, now I'm seeing a little more of my patterning that I wasn't super in tune with. Um, and anyway, and so as you were saying, what we're you know, what it is that we believe we are lacking, even though we aren't, but that's because we believe we are. And that's the thing we search outside of ourselves for, um, creating our suffering and our, our ego and our identity. What was one again? Will you say that one more time? Goodness. Goodness. Okay. Cause I was trying to, I was, I was looking for an example of how in my own life, you know, I've, I've looked for it outside and, and to your point, that's when we actually keep ourselves from it. Um, so I want to noodle on that, but do you have an example or a story from your own experience of, of how that has played out? Because I think this is such an important, I think this is so important for us to recognize, which is, first of all, it's not about saying, well, this is who I am. So now I can mm-hmm. just operate in life this way, right? Because I think some of us get yeah. in that headspace of, oh, well, now I just, now I just need to act like this all the time. No, it's, it's knowing who, how I have 
built my identity and my ego um, and then the misconception of that and how it actually is keeping me stuck if I keep doing that. So yeah. what's your experience been with that? Yeah. Um, well, just one thing that occurs to me, because as you were quoting Russ Hudson before, and I'll add another quote from him that just occurs to me as you're talking about this idea of being stuck in a box. And he says that the Enneagram is not about figuring out which box you're in so that you can live and die in that box. It's about being able to see the box that you're in so that you can get out of it. (laughs) So, yeah, Yeah. it is. um, That's basically it in a nutshell, right? But it's so easy for us to just say, oh, well, I'm just that way because I'm a type nine or I'm just that way because I'm a type five. So deal with it, you know? Um, And I think if we do that, we sort of are missing it. You know, we're missing what's really powerful about it. And, um, you know, you asked me to share an example from my own life and I'll, I'll just share that, you know, my primary tendency is to be uh, very much hanging out in the realm of type two, which the divine quality of two is love. So how that's played out in my life um, is a lot of times in relationships, I will be looking for um, signs of being loved, right? I have a lot of uh, agendas and projects and assignments for my ego to go out and look for love. And I feel like my ego feels like it needs to do a lot of things to get that love. And so that's the engine that powers my personality, right? At a very kind of deep core level that I'm constantly doing things, manipulating things, um, striving and struggling against things in order to get love. And what causes Um, what that causes is basically like the more kind of this neediness and desperateness and sort of clinginess is exhibited in my behavior. I'm actually pushing people away from me. Um, and this has played out in my relationships sadly over and over again. And I don't know that I'm cured of it. (laughs) I don't think I ever will be, but I'm certainly more aware of it and I can catch myself doing it. And I know that the answer is not to keep looking outside of myself for love. It's actually to recognize that I am love and that love is always here and that love is, is everywhere all the time. And that is what will calm my ego down. So it doesn't feel like it has to work so hard to get that. Wow. You know, and this is what's so cool, so cool about this system and why I am such a fan is now, I think most of us can relate, oh, well, I, I need love and I want love. Um, and to your point earlier, we all have all of these things and we all believe at some point we probably are missing them to some degree. Um, mm-hmm. But, but I, you know, as we get to know ourselves better, I think we do see, oh, this is really, though, how I have, again, developed my identity, my ego. And um, because, again, as I hear your stories, I think, well, yeah, there's some truth in that for me. Equally, as you reminded me of, um, because again, I, I have been playing most of my life in this area of type one and, um, with a lot of that nine and then some of the two, but a lot of the nine, um, really flushing that out. And as you read to me again, or said to me again, that it, it's, um, goodness, which is what type ones tend to feel like they are lacking. And it brings a smile to my face because, uh, and you know this because my, you, our journeys have been walking side by side, but a couple years ago or now or whenever, um, the, the idea of being good with being me, being good with being you. Mm. And what's interesting is even at the time, first of all, I didn't know I was identifying as a type one, um, but I also <laughs> didn't know the word goodness was what they it thought it was lacking. So I'm sitting here smiling, thinking, wow, in my own life, what has have I done? What has my ego done to try and be good, 
to feel good. <laughs> it is. It has gone out. It has gotten good grades. It has, you know, played the piano. <laughs> it has gone and taken dance classes just long enough, though, to make sure everyone knew I was good at it. Um, you know, because as soon as I thought I wasn't good anymore, I needed to stop. And then, you know, it's always, you know, it, it did the thing. It got married. It did all these things that it's like, okay, this is what it means to be good. Um, and look at me go. And and this is it. And yet, in some way. Um, by doing that and not seeing that I was, I am already good. Um, there is goodness within me. I can be good um, as I am, and I don't have to go out there and keep trying. Mm-hmm. Because as I went out there and I was doing all these things, I was chasing after that. I was chasing after this. I was going for the good grades, going for the extracurriculars. Um, I was actually, again, I was sabotaging myself. I was keeping myself stuck because I was never feeling good, and actually because I didn't think I was good, I, I cut myself off. So like, instead yeah. of continuing, let's say like, I just love dancing, but I stopped taking classes. Why? Because I thought I wasn't good anymore. I wasn't good enough to take classes. So I stopped. And like, how sad yeah. is that? So yeah. I actually kept myself from doing the thing that I wanted most because I didn't think I was already good enough. Right. It's the, it's the goodness without doing Right. And it's the same for every single one of these points. Right. So it's the it's the freedom that you have without having to do it. Right. It's the the wisdom that you feel without having to do it, without having to get it. Um, It's just always there. It's the big goodness. It's the big love. Right. It's the big beauty, not the small one that you kind of go and effort after. Um, And I think that, you know, I just want to emphasize this point too, that it's not that, you know, once you find out what your primary type or point is, that that's the only one that has lessons for you. Right. I know that for me, like, yeah, type two might be my primary, but I also have a lot of type seven. And so there's a lot for me to learn from that point as well. And so whenever I work with people with the Enneagram in my coaching, I always tell them, you know, when you take the assessment online, don't get too attached to whichever one comes out as your top one, whatever it is. And, you know, cause you tend to want to print it on a name tag and mm-hmm. stick it on as a badge and say, yep, this is what I am. I figured it out and I got the answer. Um, that's probably not going to be as useful for you as having really a more open inquiry into, you know, the top few and seeing what right now is the most relevant lesson for you to learn. And it may not be the top score that you get, right. It's mm-hmm. the diagnostic is, is directional. Um, but really, it's a, it's a much deeper process to look at all of the things that come up and, and look at your life right now and say, okay, which one of these lessons is the one that's presenting itself to me right now? I love that because I was actually about to ask, you know, is this something where we say, well, again, we all have all nine of these, you know, yes. the, 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 you know, the uppercase G goodness and the uppercase L love and these big, you know, freedoms. We already have all these within. And so... Is life not about, in some way, revealing that to ourselves? And we may start with the one that feels most efficient, even though it's not. And then we start to go out and expand. And what I loved about what you just said, which is, look at your life right now. What lesson am I being asked to learn? Um, yeah. How powerful is that to say, okay, I, I have all of these. I have all these areas I can go to. I'm going to have some that I'm a little more comfortable with, ones that are really like out there, um, and maybe some that I don't really think much about, but I can look at my own life to say, what is being asked of me right now? 
And how can I, exactly. yeah, how can I now use this? So that's, I love that. I love, love that. Um, <laughs> hmm. Is there anything else you've like in terms of the Enneagram, in terms of how you've, you know, used it with others or in some of the trainings? Cause I, you've just been through so much. I mean, you've learned so much, I think about the Enneagram and I've, I've been really, um, I've just, I've been excited for you. And again, by, I feel like just by default, I get some of that. <laughs> Um, just in a little bit to me. I just, I'm a little bit addicted to it. I mean, I think that to me, it's just so fascinating as a way of understanding humans. Um, and I think, um, I find it really important because a lot of spirituality, I feel like tries to bypass humanity in a way. Mm -hmm. And this is for me, it, it really grounds it, right? It's like, okay, yeah, we have an ego. Let's just accept the fact that we have an ego and that's cool. And there's also more than that, right? That it allows for those two things to coexist rather than trying to move past it or get rid of it. And I love that about the Enneagram. And there's so many layers to it. It's like an onion. You know, you first learn about these different types and then there's um, these instincts which overlay the different types. And then each of these types or points, you know, they have wings and then they have these lines that move, you know, based on whether you feel stressed or whether you feel safe, you know, from situation to situation, but then also there's a vertical dimension to it. You know, you can have completely, you know, psychopathology kind of things at the very low functioning levels, unhealthy levels of each of these types. And then at the higher levels, you've got, you know, Gandhi and Mother Teresa, right? So it's, um, there's different ways that these types manifest and it's a multi-dimensional thing as you would expect you know anything that's trying to explain human nature obviously I feel like <laughs> I would be suspicious if it was a little too simple and this is very complex right it's it's dynamic it's multifaceted it's multi-dimensional vertical horizontal and it's dynamic right it moves and I think it's a super powerful tool because of that and I love that you drew attention to sometimes it's uh, if it were too simple you almost might raise an eyebrow or, or be a little concerned. And I, I noticed that, you know, as humans, I think when we accept our humanness, we really see, wow, we just like things to be simple. We like the answer. <laughs> we like to know, oh, this is what I am. Um, you know, and I think of so many of the other personality tests out there and, and I've been certainly an addict of them myself and thinking, well, now I can just label myself this one thing. And I've put myself in this quadrant and, you know, sometimes it's fun to, to simplify things. But what I'm learning myself, and I love what you just said, is there is something about the complexity. And to embrace that, to embrace mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, we don't always know. And so I don't need to say, well, this is exactly what I am. I, I don't know. But let's, let's, let's get curious and let's explore and dig in um, and recognize that it's not going to be simple. And that's okay, yeah. too. And it's always changing too. The second that you observe something about yourself, it shifts its nature, yeah. right? It loses its power. The second that you see your ego in action and you see that this is your personality pattern already changes it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I'm noticing a couple of things because you said something earlier about the ego, um, you know, and it's, it's that what's so beautiful about this system is how it, it doesn't say, let's just pretend the ego doesn't exist. Um, and I, as I was looking for some quotes to, to start the show with, I did see one other by Russ Hudson, which I, I'm, I'm not going to read, um, remember verbatim, but it was the idea that, you know, the, the Enneagram is not about like denying or um, transcending the ego even, but it's about transforming it. And I think that's mm -hmm. really empowerful. That's so, so powerful to think that that's what this work is about. 
Um, it's not about ignoring it and it's not about thinking it, we're, we're greater than that thing, yeah. but that we actually are going to, through exploring it, through being curious, um, through asking questions, getting to know it, we're getting to know it. And then we can embrace it and say, got it. Okay. This is, this is what it is, what it thinks it is. Now let me transform it and let Mm -hmm. me, let me have more freedom in the process. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, I love this stuff. Um, for everyone out there, I, I highly recommend, you know, checking out the Enneagram. Uh, Wendy, do you have some go-tos in terms of resources and, and then we'll, we'll yeah. go into The Wisdom into of the Enneagram is a great um, resource. It's sort of the, the primer on, on the Enneagram. And then Enneagram Institute is also a great resource with lots of great materials. You can also find the assessment on there if, if you want to do the test and see where you might start investigating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And that's what's kind of fun about it. It's a place to start because I think that's what we can't, um, I don't think, say enough, which is it's not the place to end. You know, that's where mm-hmm. we start and then we can grow our circle and we can actually expand out. So awesome. Um, and we'll just make sure that we'll include those links as well, you know, with the show notes. So everyone can go and find those resources. Um, but before we let you go today, Wendy, and this has been oh, so great as I ex- anticipated it would be, I want a few, uh, questions of you to ask in terms of just a, getting to know you a bit better. So mm-hmm. here we go. I like to close out each show with these questions. Um, who is a source of inspiration for you and why? Hmm. Yeah, you, um, <laughs> when you sent me this question, I really struggled with this one a little bit because i I find it hard to name one person, right? I feel like I meet people in my day-to-day life all the time who inspire me. Mm. Um, You know, recently I met a woman who quit her marketing job to go lead food tours because she's really passionate about food. Mm. Um, Last week I met a guy who is a professor of theoretical physics who's decided to basically leave his secure academic job in order to work with a startup that's figuring out to harness wind energy from airplanes to make, you know, more sustainable flights. So there's people all around me, I think, that are doing really, really cool things. Um, but when I think about sort of like a, a role model or somebody who I super admire, um, the first person that comes to mind is Oprah. Mm-hmm. And the reason is just because she is so herself, right? She's so authentic. Um, and to me, she's somebody who's deeply spiritual and also at the same time, hugely successful in a material world, right? So she kind of crosses both realms and and she's kind of a living example of the fact that those two things are actually not, uh, at odds with each other. They don't need to be. Mm. So, wow. Love that. Okay. Um, what place or activity most inspires you right now? Lately, I have been um, doing a lot of dancing. Dancing is meditation, and I am really enjoying that because I think it's getting me more in my body. Um, and I, I kind of like, it's like crazy dancing, right? It's not dancing for performance. It's not dancing to look good or, um, yeah, it's, it's more dancing for pleasure. Um, it's probably the kind of dancing where if you saw me, you'd probably think I was having, having a seizure or something. Like, it's like really jerky and like weird and not attractive probably, but... I love it. It makes me feel super good. 
Do you do this in your bedroom or like out in a, a space? Where Where do you find yourself both. doing this? Yeah. Both. Okay. Um, yeah, awesome. out in in public, in a field, at a festival, at a club, in my bedroom. You know, everywhere and anywhere. Mm. This is kind of my thing now. Is dancing. Ah, oh, awesome. What are you currently working on or creating that is most inspiring to you? Yeah, so I'm actually getting ready to launch my first kind of uh, written um, workbook. Um, so I, I run these retreats, as you know, for women that are trying to transform their work lives to do something more meaningful. And I found that there was really a gap for people who might not have the time or the resource to go on retreat somewhere for a week. And I'm working on a workbook uh, that would be downloadable, um, that has a lot of the most powerful individual exercises that I've, I've come up with and makes it really accessible for a lot more people. So that's what I'm really excited about right now is putting that out into the world. Awesome. And your retreats are amazing. I can attest. I was there at one of them and, um, I'm looking forward to, to seeing you just continue to do more and more and more, uh, including one this December. So make sure you look into those if you're curious. Um, okay. So what is a favorite book inspiring you personally or spiritually? Um, there's so many, uh, the book that I really think is kind of my go-to and it's something that I recommend for everybody who comes to my retreats because I love the way that it's written and it really encapsulates a lot of core ideas that I like to talk about around doing work that's purposeful. And it's called The Crossroads of Should Versus Must. It also has such amazing illustrations in it. It's written by this woman, Elle Luna, who she herself kind of transformed her life from you know working in corporate to becoming a painter and having a much more creative life. Um, so I find it sort of like her mini manifesto and it's, it's super short and easy to digest and really inspiring. Mm. And how about another favorite or one of your favorite books that has inspired you in more like business or work? If there's another book you'd share for that. Um, I think I would have to say, I mean, this is, I read this years ago, but I think it was actually, it's super influential in changing my ideas around work. And that's the four hour work week. I'm sure probably a lot of people are familiar with it, but for me, the key concept that I took away from that is this idea of decoupling value from time which has been so freeing for me, right? Like I used to always think about trading time for a dollar, right? And now I don't think about it that way, which gives me actually so much more free time. And I'm so much more efficient, I think, in adding value with my time because I don't have this idea that my time is money, right? Like you hear that phrase a lot, time is money. And actually what that book taught me is that no, like those two things actually don't have to be in lockstep together. You can actually add a lot of value in very little time. Awesome. So then now that everyone has heard you and, um, I know are probably feeling very inspired to reach out, where can they, where can they get in touch with you? Where can they find you? Um, the best place is my website, um, so which is kaistara.com. So K A I S T A R A. Beautiful. And we'll make sure we link to that. that. Yeah, we will. Absolutely. Um, yeah, kaistara gorgeous. And I love the name and can you tell us a little bit about what, why you chose that as your, as your name for your oh, business? It's a, it's a made-up word. So Kaistara is a made-up word um, from two sources that I kind of mushed together. Kai is, in Chinese, is the word to open or opening. 
And Stara is, it's truncated from Ostara, which is the goddess of transformation. So I've put together this idea of opening and transformation to kind of make up a new word, which is how I came up with Kaistara. So good. So good. Okay. Um, Well, I am just, of course, filled with gratitude for you and um, for taking time to be here, adding tremendous value in um, a short amount of time, if I may say for myself, (laughs) and just for being an incredible friend, an incredible woman who has definitely um, is living out her purpose and, and helping others to do the same, which is inspirational to all of us. So thank you for being here and thank you everyone for listening. Um, These are awesome conversations and I plan to do many, many more of them. Anything in closing, Wendy, that you'd like to say? No. Thank you so much. This has been great. Awesome. Well, then I will conclude us as I always do one more time with India Ari and her beautiful voice just to help us close out with the truth of who we truly are. Thanks again, everyone. Many blessings to you. Pieces of the brokenness inside